I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail, the anatomy of a rumour which snowballed into a conspiracy theory. Before I start, I do want to make a plea to all New Zealanders. Please, please be cautious about the information that you are getting on COVID-19 cases. This is the country's health minister, Chris Hipkins, standing up at a nationally broadcast news conference trying to douse the flames of a vicious rumour. It is entirely normal to be inquisitive, to ask questions and to want to know what's going on. But what we've seen over the last 24 hours has taken things to a new and concerning level. It's troubling. One piece of information in particular has spread like wildfire and it's created extreme distress for the family that is at the centre of it. It was all over Facebook. It was being sent to journalists as fact. And it put us actually in a pretty strange position. Do you report something in order to rebut it and risk amplifying that lie? Or do you ignore it in the hope that it'll die if you don't give it any oxygen? The claim was that a woman uh, in the present COVID cluster contracted the virus by sneaking into a managed isolation facility and it included a number of vile slurs. Not only was it harmful and dangerous, it was totally and utterly wrong. Worse than that... There have always and always be rumours. But this one smacked of orchestration, of being a deliberate act of misinformation spreading. And it spread, all right, all around New Zealand before the truth even had its pants on. And that inspired journalist and filmmaker Dylan Reeve to go digging for the source. It took him 15 minutes. The source traced to a post on Reddit, a social media site, sort of like an online community bulletin board. I think it was it was a, a rumour that kind of stuck with me for a little bit. Like, you know, I was, I was sort of interested in it and I was telling people in my sort of immediate group, don't be dumb, this is dumb. Um, but then it kind of it took off in that way, and and it kind of it got addressed. And I think I thought about it a lot. And then I, like early on, I had a look at the guy's Reddit profile, and I I sort of you know he 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 deleted his comment by that point. But he you know from what I could see in his Reddit profile, he wasn't a troll. Like it wasn't something he was doing deliberately. So I was kind of curious, but I didn't really go much further about it. And then yesterday, I was sort of thinking about it again, and someone. House had mentioned it, and I was like, oh, I wonder if I can figure out who this guy is. And I, I did. It t- took me about 15 minutes. It took you about 15. Like, h- how do you do it? What's the process? Can you tell us about the techniques or as well, much I'm not as you gonna, can? I'm not, not going to divulge specifically what I did in this <laughs> case, but in broad terms, people reuse things, right? Like, they, people reuse things or they post little bits of information that connect them to other things. So, you know, people might reuse a, a username or, or they might connect themselves to someone else who's easier to find. Those types of things are sort of where I usually end up looking. There's a lot of stuff, like often you'll find if someone's got a domain name, you can look at the domain name and that might be straight to them or it might point you to a you know, a company that you can look up that is, is them. So there's lots of sort of ways that people leave little bits of information. I mean, if you go out onto the internet and you want to be truly anonymous and you, you know, practice it well, then you can probably hide from you know, journalists and people who don't have um, you know, access to, to ISP records and things, but you're still... You know, you're not anonymous. So you reckon it took about 15, 15 minutes to figure out who this guy was, and you, you actually you eventually got a hold of his what? You got a hold of his phone number? 
I got a hold of someone who was connected to him, and I said, hey, I'm trying to reach this guy. Can you get him to call me back? And, uh, yeah, 10 minutes later, he phoned me. What were you expecting? I don't know. I think I'd figured out by that point that he probably wasn't, like, uh, you know, a chaos agent. Like, he wasn't out there trying to spread. Because the Reddit post was, uh, it was clinical. You know, it was like, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. There was no embellishment about, you know, about the family not having any money or about, you know, the the, the Australian person being a, a deported convict, I don't think. So his post seemed kind of, for want of a better word, factual. I mean, it wasn't factual, but, you know, it was laid out like that. Um, so I didn't think I was about to be talking to some, you know, racist loon, but I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if he was going to be aggressive and confrontational or deny it all, or, or something else, and, and what I got was something else. Yeah, it sounded like he was almost sort of half expecting your call. He he definitely was. I mean, not not my call, <laughs> probably. I don't know if he was expecting my call or, or a police's call or, or some other journalist's phone call, but he was definitely expecting that this would land in his real life um, in the near future. Here's a recording of that call. We've distorted the man's voice. Your identity isn't super important for the story, but about yeah. how, how, the, how our comments can kind of get blown out of proportion in ways that we don't understand, you know, if you, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't expect this is probably going to be the last call I'm going to get out of this. Yeah. I've been waiting for the last um, two days, not sleeping, because I'm like this, this... Without necessarily, like, identifying this guy, can you tell me a bit about him? Oh, look, he's... A, he's I've described him in the, in the article as a young professional. He's, uh, you know, I'm not... I haven't spent a long time talking to him about his, his career or whatever. I don't know what that is, but um, you know, I know I know enough to know that he's he's had a few jobs. He's sort of working upwards in his career. He's you know, what, I guess, good solid start, like you know, heading to the middle part of a career, maybe in an industry where people are going to Google him at some point, and you know, if a bunch of articles come up saying this guy was a terrible racist who spread conspiracy theory lies about COVID that's going to have a pretty significant impact on his life going forward and, and probably disproportionate to what he did, which, in my opinion, was a you know, a foolish mistake. How was he feeling when you spoke to him? How was he feeling about it all? I, it's hard to know. I mean, I'd say very contrite. I felt quite remorseful of what he'd done. I, you know, it's a thing that you do a thing without knowing what the future is, right? He thought he was just posting this thing on a on an internet forum, not realising that he was kind of stoking the fires of, of these conspiracy theories and, and, and racial prejudices that people were already kind of working on. And so I think, you know, he felt bad about what had happened. You know, I don't want, like I say, I don't want to hang you out to dry. Like, to be honest, Norman, I, may, I may need hung out to dry. That may be fully justified for the police to put me up under the deck. I'll take the consequences because, it's, honestly, it's one of the worst things that have done articulating that. I haven't written about it in this article specifically, but it's it's not a feeling I'm unfamiliar with. I don't think I've ever been in that kind of position, but I've certainly seen things I've written or expressed in the world take off in a way I didn't intend them to, and there's kind of like a, a sudden sinking, sick feeling when you see people attaching ideas to your expressions that weren't what you wanted. What was his explanation for how that post came to be in the first place? It's essentially that he has, you know, grasped a whole lot of of information, of leads. Yeah, you know, it's 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 journalism. You know, it's like you take these these leads that are floating around that people are giving you, in this case chat 
you know, chat messages with people who he knew had, had been, been at Auckland University, who, you know, were third or, or fourth hand kind of connected to to some of the members of the family involved and something he did from some mate at work who said he knew a guy who knew a thing and said the police were investigating, you know, that kind of thing. And so he kind of took those things as leads, I suppose, and put them together. I think putting them together in that way is fine and it's what a lot of us would do and we might do it in our private chat groups with friends and go, is this what happened? I think I heard this thing and this other thing and and that's fine. But he's posted it online publicly and it's and it's taken off in a way I don't think he originated any of the ideas in in his post. I think what he did was gather a few together that he'd heard from a few different places um, and put them in a public space. We're sort of talking about two separate posts in concert with each other here, right? But, like, the guy that you spoke to, he laid out sort of the, fairly clinically, the sort of bare bones of his theory. And then that bare bones, that source text, can you explain how that sort of metamorphed into something a bit more sinister? Look, I can't because it's gone through a little meat grinder I haven't seen at that point. But he's he's kind of stood up, you could say, like he stood up in front of the media and said, isn't it curious that, that Jacinda Ardern was doing this and that Ashley Bloomfield got a test the other day? You know, like, it's not different to what Jerry Brownlee was doing. Uh, all very interesting things to have happened uh, a matter of hours before there was a notification of uh, a, the largest uh, residential part of New Zealand going into uh, level three lockdown. So what are you what are you saying there then? Can you just tell what are you what are you saying there? But but what do you mean by that? I mean are you saying it's not a coincidence that they knew? Well why don't you ask some questions? So he's done the same thing. He's laid out these these things that he thinks he's heard that you know his aren't quite as factual. But he's laid them out and someone has taken those ideas, or you'd call them like a storyline or a plot outline, I suppose, and sort of fleshed it out. Now, I don't know the people behind that Facebook group. I don't know if they've had other sources of information as well, but it really feels like they've taken the, the guts of his, of his theory that he's put together there and turned it into something with a lot more sort of racist dog whistles and, and detail. What is that Facebook group that you're talking about? I think it's called Expose Hatred NZ, and the irony I thought was that is that it's exposing hatred by posting it directly. <laughs> it's one of those groups that, you know, it's got a name that on the face of it seems like a good thing, but then you look into it and it's a bunch of people complaining about anti-white racism uh, and things like that. So it's not, it's not a nice place, and I feel like that they've certainly, you know, it feels to me like they've probably manufactured what we see there. I don't think they're just reporting what someone told them. I feel like they've probably um, embellished an underlying story to make it what it was that served their their sort of narrative and agenda. It feels like that website, that Facebook page, plays a really huge part in this. That If it wasn't for that Facebook page, maybe that Reddit post just flies under the radar and is sort of seen for what it is. But the amplification, like, like almost like this guy kind of lost control of this kind of potty theory that he had and then it snowballed into something totally unrecognisable. And that's exactly what's happened, right? The Reddit post, the screenshot of the Reddit post after he deleted it would have flown around in people's private message groups. You know, it would have been like, oh, well, did you see this? It's been deleted now, but did you see this? You know, that's what would have happened. It wouldn't have gone viral in the way that the that the post that kind of spelled it all out into a narrative did. And so, yeah, he's he's lost control of it quickly. What I saw was a lot of people posting the original Facebook post and then posting his Reddit post, screenshots of his Reddit post underneath it as kind of like backup. <laughs> 
um, and also pointing to pointing to Winston Peters' comments as, as also, you know, obviously this is talking about the same thing as well. And I can almost tell you right now what I suspect it is because I've got inside information, but until it's confirmed, I'm not going to say. OK, well, if you've piqued my interest, obviously, because you're the Deputy Prime Minister, so I imagine inside information isn't just innuendo or, or rumour. Can you give me some indication yeah. about what, what those officials are telling you? That wasn't an official. I found it from somewhere else. But I think there's been a breach inside our quarantine system. And I think when that comes very shortly, in a matter of maybe less than a day, we'll find that that was the, uh, the case. But you don't always find out from your officials. You don't even always find out from the experts. It's something to sort of find out by contact with other people. So it was kind of like it just ended up being that kind of more, more sources, I guess. This must be absolutely insane from this guy's point of view, because as, as you mentioned there, you know, the, the Deputy Prime Minister repeated this. You know, it was addressed in the 1pm press conference. Yeah, the Deputy Prime Minister repeated something that played along the same lines of it, right? So whether he was talking about the same theory or not, like, who knows? Maybe, maybe he heard the same thing that the guy we wrote about heard, and, and they've both expressed it in different ways. But maybe he heard something else. But, you know, you can point at the Deputy Prime Minister and say, he says this and this lines up with this other thing. Therefore, it must be true. It's an interesting sort of, like, fable almost in terms of, you know, the illusion of control that you have over information on the internet, right? Like, once you put something out there, that's it. It's like nudes. Like, you know, you post a nude of yourself on the internet and you don't have control of that anymore. Ever. Like, you, you Snapchat a nude of yourself to someone and they can screenshot it and you don't know what's going to happen to it. Same thing, anything you put in the internet, not even in public space, you've seen dozens of, you know, of screenshots of private Facebook groups that people share or private Discord chats or something. Like, you're communicating ideas into the world and you can't control what happens to them after you communicate them. And I think it's really sometimes important to think about that before you hit send. Your piece in the interview that you did with this bloke, it actually comes across as reasonably compassionate to this guy. I'm curious about that. Like, was was that so that he would talk to you, or is there a part of you which kind of understands how this happened? It wasn't deliberate, and it wasn't how I expected it was going to go. But very, very quickly in our conversation, like within the first 10 or 15 seconds, it was clear to me that... You know, he, he was very regretful about what had happened and, you know, had obviously been playing scenarios out in his head over and over again for two or three days at that point about what this was going to mean for him and what he what exactly he'd done. And I think the moment that became apparent to me, I kind of could start playing out those theories in my head about things I've said or posted or thought about saying or posting. And I think it was... You know, it was just it was in that moment that I was like, oh, okay, I I understand what this is. It actually comes across as quite a sad story in the end. Like no one really comes out well of this, apart from you, I guess, in a sense. (laughs) Well, we'll see. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, it it is a sad story in a way because he's, you know, he's he's just gotten a little bit carried away. Like there's so many moments in our lives that, you know, for just a split second's reconsideration could could be very different. And in this case, he's posted a thing and it's gotten away from him. And, you know, a split second's more thought about, oh, actually, do I really want to put this out in the world? And everything's different. 
the, one of the sort of bleak ironies here as well is that you know the the the, the people who are really responsible for the alarm here won't necessarily be held accountable for that because they're kind of like a middleman in this situation, right? Like a conduit. Yeah, and they're, and they're playing for anonymity, right? So they, you know, they've made a, a specific choice to, to operate their page in an anonymous way and they've, and they've done that from the start, whereas other people, you know, are just posting things with their, in their, as their real lives with their, with their real personalities and not trying to do that. So they kind of get away, from, away with it, right? Because I, I can't figure out who they are. You know, I... I've had a little look, it's not obvious to me, and I'm not sure where to go with it. Maybe someone will figure it out, but they get away with it. Are you going to go to the cops about this? Look, I don't know. I don't think I have any, any reason to. If the, if the family involved, if the, if the woman at the, at the, um, at the centre of, of what those allegations was feels that that's the right thing for her to do, then you know I think she should. I think um, the person we've written about would, in a way, kind of like an answer on that one way or the other. You know, he he feels like that's a thing that's hanging over his head, and I think he probably wouldn't mind um, if that were the if that were the outcome. At least he'd feel, I guess, whatever sort of sense of closure that would bring. People are going to come down on this guy really hard. You know, like a ton of bricks in all yeah. likelihood. Like, how how does that make you feel? I mean, I that's the thing. I've I've tried to write it with the context that I've written it with because I don't think that's the right response. So once I had the conversation with him, I spent a while thinking about what to do with this conversation. And I think one of the reasons I wanted to write it was because I didn't want someone else, you know, reaching him and writing like a 300-word story as a little side piece on, on the Herald website or something that was just going to be like, this guy did this thing. I wanted to give it that context because I think the context about what happened is more important than what specifically did happen in this case. I don't think he went out there with the intention of, of causing harm or misery. He did a thing that any of us could do quite easily and, and lost control of it. And I think that's a much more important thing for people to take away from this than who he is or even specifically what happened in this case. You do this sort of thing a lot, you know. Uh, you, yep. you actually mentioned in your piece that you have like a database of people. <laughs> yeah. Who you kind of, who's, who, who you're trying to figure out who they really are. And I mean, how do stories like this kind of like make you feel about the internet and social media more more widely and the nefarious ways people c- can use those platforms? I don't know. It's a question I ask myself all the time. Like I, I've grown up with the internet. Like I literally, you know, I started, I left school, I left high school at like, fifth form or whatever and went and went and started working for an ISP you know in the very early days of the internet like this I've grown up with this and I was on BBS's before that I, I this is a huge part of my life and I don't like large parts of it I don't even like the parts that I participate in sometimes I don't like the way Twitter has a tendency to take things and blow them entirely out of proportion and destroy people's lives you know I'd, I'd and cancel culture is not a real thing. Like people get, you know, celebrities anyway get back to where they were. Like Louis C.K. is doing tours again. Like you know, it's not a real thing. But for for, for people like this who, you know, are going to apply for jobs from time to time, and some employer is going to Google their name, right? For them, it's a real thing. And I, this parts of the internet I don't like, and and how this stuff spreads, and how, you know, how we kind of are voyeuristic observers of it all, and we participate in it. Passively, we share things all the time without without reading them, without thinking through the consequences. 
Mm. I don't know. I don't know how, you know, and it's, it's, there's nothing we can do. It's, we can't undo it. Like, it's all, it's all out. This is the internet now. You can't fix it. So I don't know what anything is. All I can do is, all I can suggest is that we each try to engage with it the best way we can ourselves. And hopefully, if enough of us do that, it becomes a good thing. Always. It's kind of a fascinating circumstance, sort of emotionally right, in that it's not an example of evil. It's really more an example of sort of naivety, like super destructive (laughs) naivety. But in the end, the outcome is uh, almost the same. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, and you like you don't know what harm you're going to do to someone by spreading a rumor or or posting your uninformed reckons on the internet. Like you can't can't always foresee that. Um, I, all you can do is is literally just you know take that second to read again before you hit send and think, wait a second, is there another way that this is going to go than how I expect it's going to go. Um, and maybe that's, you know, maybe that's just what we all need to do. I try and do that a lot more now. Um, and I still fail. I still send things that I that get interpreted in ways I don't want. I still upset people when I don't mean to. Um, and it's just, you know, it's the nature of our sort of indirect and short communication. Having been through this experience and, and, and seeing this story unravel in the way that it has, if, if you were to say something to people, you know, give a, give them, I don't know, wisdom or advice or, or just even, you know, a thought that kind of springs to mind that, that you've kind of taken from this, what would it be? Is there anything? The, look, the broadest thing is take ownership of what you put out there, right? So at every level, this falls apart because people don't take ownership of what they're putting into the public space. The, that original post went viral because a lot of people were like, well, look, I don't know if this is true, but it's interesting. You know, don't, don't share it. Don't put that stuff out. The whole problem of misinformation on Facebook is because Facebook takes no ownership over what they enable, right? So they're like, oh, we're just, we're just a platform. Twitter's like, we're just a platform. Reddit's, we're just a platform, right? These things you have to take. At some point, if we all take some level of ownership of the things we put out, then at least we can help in that way. And I think that's the main thing. Like, don't share stuff that you think might not be real just because you think other people might like to think about it. Like, get behind it. If you think it's a thing, put it out there and say that. If you don't think it's a thing, don't let, don't just put it out there because you think others might want to ask questions too. Own it. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Dylan Reeve. And today, Chris Hipkins gets the last word. Please treat the information that you are receiving on social media as a rumour that is unverified and therefore something that cannot be relied upon to be true or accurate.